The Church of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut welcomes you to this edition of Shi'ar Jeshub. Today, we will be continuing a sermon by Pastor Greg Scalzo from his series on Heavenly Authority. We are in 1 Kings chapter 12, and when we left off, Jeroboam, fearing that his people in northern Israel would return to Judah for the temple feasts, made two calves of gold for worship. Human nature is so unbelievable that the same things happen over and over again. We see the longer we live, we see the same errors being repeated over and over again. Verse 29, not only that, he's creating his own religious centers, his own religious system. He set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. He has these two, it's double the value. Two places of worship, not just one. Now remember, Bethel is 12 miles north of Jerusalem on the border of Ephraim and Benjamin. So it's right on the border of the the Mason-Dixon line, the division between the north and the south, right? Benjamin's with Judah. This is the southernmost part of the northern kingdom. Another important city, and you can see how Jeroboam probably can use the, the account of how their father Jacob saw the staircase going up to heaven at this place. What better place to make a worship center? And it's right down the bottom. So why would you have to go further to Jerusalem if you can stop at Bethel and worship there, right? And Dan, Dan is all the way north on the far border. So if you're up there, you can go to Dan. He, he puts a perimeter around this new northern kingdom, a worship center to the south or a worship center to the north. And we all know the disgraceful beginnings, which we studied in detail in Judges chapter 18 of the tribe of Dan, who cannot take their central position in Israel, that was a lot of them, and they destroyed a peaceful people up north and took a land God did not allot them, and that's the history of Dan, and at that point is where the, uh, the second calf is placed. So he covers the whole range of this new northern kingdom to kind of keep the people in. Not only that, verse 30, we're told, now this thing became a sin the people went to worship before the one, the one calf, as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, just like Solomon did, right? And made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Who were not of the sons of Levi. He does the very thing that Solomon did. And he also breaks the power of the Levites. Obviously, there's politics involved here also. To have his own priests, his own religious leaders, to take away any power that the keepers, the ordained keepers of the law, chosen by the law, would have on the people that might get them back to the temple, that might get them back to worshiping the one God. He makes his own priests. He appoints his own religious leaders. And you see again how Jeroboam, someone that starts good, 
becomes a sinful, wicked, foolish king. How power and the need for power can corrupt even those who start, start off well. He's so concerned for keeping his power, he's so afraid that he set up his own shrines, his own worship centers, his own gods, his own priesthood. He shows no regard for God's law, what the law prescribes concerning the priests being descendants of Aaron, and that the ministers at the temple be Levites. Verse 32, Jeroboam ordained the feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. The 15th day of the 7th month on the religious calendar is the Feast of Tabernacles. So he comes up with his own feast a month later. On the 8th month, 15th day, he makes a feast like that which was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made, gods he made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he has his own religious centers, his own priesthood, his own feasts at his own time, his own gods, the calves he had made. He wants God in his image. He doesn't want to serve the God that made him in God's image. He wants to create the God he wants, and that's being done today. We don't do it in society by making golden calves necessarily, though we were in Barnes & Noble last week, and amazingly, amazingly, you have on one side all the Sports Illustrated calendars, which speaks about the lust of the people. But right behind the desk, there's a wall of tarot cards and occultic, all types of occultic trappings right there in a bookstore, how to cast spells, witchcraft. You see, how many people are there that they have this huge display right where you check out? So it's not far from imagination how we could have people bowing down to golden calves. But certainly the idea of trying to make a God that we want, how we want him, is done all the time by many, many people. And that's what Jeroboam is doing here. He wants to create the God he wants rather than following the God who put him into the position he's in to begin with. Verse 33, So he made offerings on the altar which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. Again, in his own heart. He thought it. He feared it. He was concerned. Thought crops up in his mind. He puts this plan into action. And this is the time which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained the feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. His own heart. Be careful what you think in your heart what the fear can do to make us go away from God. God gives us free will. He gives us free will as individuals. He gives us free will as a people. He doesn't force us to do what is right. He tells us what is right. He requires us to do it, but he doesn't force us to do it. And someone could say, well, God foreknows everything, so why? Why pick Jeroboam to begin with? Why pick Solomon to begin with? Why pick Saul to begin with? 
But maybe the question, maybe the problem isn't why does God pick them? Rather, why are we all so sinful that there is really no one to pick who doesn't somehow go astray? You put them in a position of power and they just go astray, no matter how well they start off. You have Saul hiding among the baggage. No, I'm not worthy to be king. And then he's throwing spears in the wall. He's doing everything to keep that power. And he thinks he can trick God. He can somehow play a game with Samuel to get God's blessing, forgetting the power of God. Jeroboam forgot the power of God. All he's into is political power, what he has to do to maintain it. Why are we all so sinful that there really is no one that he can pick who doesn't go astray? Even David, and he mentions here David, how David kept his commandments, his statutes. David, and you know this from the Psalms, he loves the law of God. You don't quite get the sense with Jeroboam, uh, Saul, and even Solomon, that they had the love that David has for what God can do and the, and the word of God. But David breaks two really important commandments, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not murder. So even David, you know, the boy who knew he could slay Goliath, he doesn't bring the country into idolatry like Solomon, like Jeroboam, but even David sins. So maybe the question is, not why does God appoint them because of foreknowledge, but why do we as a people, why are we so sinful? Why do we rebel so much? He gives us the free will. He gives us the choice. He foreknew us and he placed us in the right spot as children of Adam. We all do the same thing. We're a sinful people. We're all like Adam. We would do the same thing Adam did, save one son of man. And so Jeroboam and they, northern Israel, because the people follow him, right? They go along with it. I don't hear any, any revolt going on here. They go astray just like Solomon. And in an odd way, they're split off because of Judah's sin of idolatry. But northern Israel, because they, from the very beginning, reject the one place of worship, the temple. It's important to have that one place to come back to. Down in Judah, even though there's all these other high places, there's still the temple there. Because the temple is there, even though there's idolatry, that one place of worship is always there as a reminder. And because northern Israel rejects the one place of worship, rejects the going down to the feast to remember, well, by rejecting the one place of worship, by rejecting the need to go down three times a year to Jerusalem, the acceleration into idolatry actually is quicker up north than down south in Judah, where the idolatry starts on the Solomon. And so the people of the north are taken into captivity into Assyria quicker. They fall faster than southern Judah, where there are a few attempts at revival. They lose the center, the temple, the one place, and they go down, they slide down into the gross idolatry quicker than southern Judah. There is no memorial as a constant reminder. They got these two calves. There's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no temple furnishings 
to remind them about Yahweh God, the true God who brought them out of Egypt, they have this new religion of Jeroboam. And it's important to have those memorials as a constant reminder, at least to some degree in the societal dynamics of pull back and forth, those memorials, those reminders have a chance of reaching some people or being there at least for the next generation. And we, we can think about Christmas and Easter, right? How many people in the United States will celebrate Christmas and Easter and have no religious connotation, no desire to serve Jesus Christ, but it's still there. It's a memorial. That's why when crosses are taken down from churches, when churches get above the Bible, we know there's a lot of churches that have Bibles right up prominently and they never read it. But at least it's there that someone might say, hey, why is that book holy? When that Bible gets taken away, when the crosses come down, you're very close to gross, gross idolatry and everything can come in. Notice God's judgment upon Solomon and the division uh, that is part of his conditional will, right? We studied it's not his positional will, but he's allowing it. He wants it to happen because he has to break the power of Solomon, the kingdom, the authority that might bring all the people to idolatry. There has to be some type of division that truth can be refound, right? We discussed all that. But this conditional will of God to bring about this division of Israel is not an automatic endorsement of the people of the north, nor of Jeroboam, nor of their character. Join Pastor Greg on the web for serious Bible study. The address is www.shiarjashub.org.